doing? Kid stories. Can I get a holla for letting it rip in a real fast car? Tracy Chapman lives. Holla! Thank you very much. Old man, gap years. Holla! Banana Republic, resist this. Booyah tribe. Thank you very much. How do I convince HR that my break from corporate America has made me their superior? Easy. Let my daughter conduct my initial phone screen interview for me. HR. Hi, Michael. Matilda. No, it's his daughter, Matilda. I'm his talent representative. Takes talent to know it or else you'll be stuck chained to a baby Ruth machine in a boiler room below Penn Station for a reason like yourself. Baby Ruth! Holla! Goonies live! It's our time to let it rock! Holla! Bon Jovi lives! Thank you very much! HR, excuse me, Matilda, aren't all HR managers corporate cock blockers inside? I had to burn her hips just to get her through the fucking door. Dice lives. Ha! Thank you very much. HR, did your father raise you on the jerky boys? Matilda, American dad, Arliss, and entourage. Actually, every teacher has wanted to clone me since kindergarten. Can your daughter make the same claim without you wondering where she gets her powers of imagination from in the first place? Because the best you could do with your life was work as an HR hack for hire. Holla! For hardcore hilarity. Thank you very much, HR. I think I've had... Enough lip from you, Hussey. Your dad hasn't held a steady job in five years, for Christ's sake. Matilda, he's produced 64 comedy records in the past six months. John Lennon wished he was this productive during his stay-at-home dad years. When two days into the job of being stay-at-home dad while living with Yoko, is pushing... Julian in Central Park and yells up to the sky, choke on a fucking cucumber scone, Paul. All the primal scream therapy in the world has its limitations, mate. Ha! For watching the wheels, working class hero lives. Thank you very much. Matilda again. My father has produced 64 comedy records in the past six months alone. John Lennon wished he was this productive during his stay-at-home dad years. And you're going to question his ability to write engaging copy for Ciroc Vodka? Don't those commercials with Puff draped in white past Labor Day sell themselves? Holla! Are those Corona commercials with Snoop? Which contrasts with his new uh, wine offerings, Cabernet, which, according to Wine Advocate, tastes like mouthwash used in Pornhood Hell. Ha! For the loosey-goosey 
chosen one. Ah! Thank you very much. HR. Those copywriters who worked in those commercials for hip-hop royalty make six-figure salaries. All your dad's done is amass more old man gap years on his resume, which is a pathetic look. At 45, going on 46, I don't care. If your dad fashions himself as the best-kept writing talent seeker since Charles Bukowski puked up saintly hooker pros for dinner after inventing more dog-chasing stories on his mail-order route pre-ways back in the day. Holla! Bukowski lives. Thank you very much, Matilda. My dad wrote the great American Jew novel. Charles Bukowski kept highlighted copies of Mein Kampf under his childhood bed to keep his national pride swellings comfy and warm. Holla! Yeah, my dad is accused of being the hate speech mongoloid moron. But last time I checked, Mein Kampf is available to download on your Kindle for one Ninety-nine, which is 725 pages of hate speech in a row. Holla! Jackie Mason lives. Thank you very much. Also, I'm a much bigger fan of Henry Miller over Charles Bukowski's underrated ho-hum watching the paint dry prose to more Fucking Gustav Mahler, who didn't write Rhapsody in Blue last time I checked either. Holla! For the best musical score intro ever that was in Woody Allen's Manhattan. Holla! Which came out pre soon so I'm going to give it a extra holla plug. Thank you very much. <laughs> HR, why should I arrange a face-to-face -face interview with your daddy, dear Matilda? For starters, star power rubs off through sheer osmosis. Ah! How else do you think he made me so hardcore hilarious in the first place? HR, you do have a way with words, Matilda. You would too, if you stemmed from my dad's do it all dad year tree trunk. Can I get a holla for some wildly inappropriate but completely on brand holla? Thank you for letting it rip. You're welcome very much. Holla! Doing kid stories. And the train rolls on. Because this comedic train is bound for glory. Holla! Next up, bad mouth breath. You're welcome. Thank you very much. How do you shut up mask pushing Karens? Stick these silencers in your pocket. Dice lives. I can't take no more. Holla! Thank you very much. Wear the damn mask. Suck out my natural immunity, hate speech, and white cloaked privilege.
first, babe. Ha! I won't take long, Karen. Just pretend Obama ordered you to leak it. Booyah, tribe! And Obama be meh. What were his great accomplishments again? Oh, yeah. He rebranded ISIS ISIL, so they sound more starter friendly in the New York Times. Booyah, tribe! Thank you very much! Would I like a mask? No. I'd like a wife who wasn't incredibly self-conscious about tongue darting. If you really need to know, I'm pure E or not. But I'm doing my best not to obsess on absolute perfection. Thank you very much! <laughs> I appreciate the pantomime mask on move, Karen. Were you Sid Caesar's understudy on the show of shows? Or were you an unhuggable, miserable cunt to begin with? Jim Jeffries lives. Thank you very much. If you were a good improv partner, Karen, you'd say, yes, but my mom's permanent, bitchy disposition and grossly inflated sense of importance didn't help boost my likability factor in high school one iota either. Ha! Amy Heckerling lives. Thank you very much. In Europe, it's illegal. To walk outside massless. You can't pack heat. So Europeans will take any government sanction protection against acid attacks that they can get mate. Holla! Bill Hicks lives. Thank you very much. Mass save lives. Home robberies in New York City have just been reduced to slap on the wrist traffic tickets. I'll take my chances trying to score a copywriting job in Norwalk, Connecticut. Thank you very much. Andy Kaufman lives. Thank you very much. Mass stop spreading the virus. But New York City is 80% vax already. Even a degenerate Jew like myself can see that massive Mask regulations and COVID vax papers demanded. The Carmines of Broadway don't add up to jack shit protection, Karen. Except the Italian reptilian side Cuomo looks like Mama Fratelli. And the thing had a baby getting away with killing off the greatest city in the world in less than two years flat. I bet you bought his book on leadership for Random House. Asked for the book advance back. How to Kill Grandma without throwing her off the train? Or was the book called How to Get Banned from Rouse for Life? Or was it, No, I Won't Jump Off My Own Bridge. Stop asking me already. Ha! Bill Maher lives. Thank you very much. Kids who don't wear masks are super spreaders. Fentanyl is the biggest killer in America. You hysterical, hacky bitch. Now that's a national emergency Worth locking down our borders for Mr. Groper, liquor upper. I don't know why I waste my breath. Bad mouth breath. I can't take no more. And fuck China in the ass. Long time all the time. Chinese made fentanyl smuggle across our southern borders. I freaking well. It's got more crackers in this country than Taylor Swift kicking it with Lena Dunham on Instagram. Doing kid stories. Ha! The best is yet to come. Sinatra 10.0 lives. Thank you very much. The jolt felt around the world. Ha!
Old school 80 sodas. Wall. Thank you very much. It was 1986. Metroid came out on the original Nintendo, which had a female protagonist, Alien Destroyer, who reveals her bushy red Sonya hair at the end after tossing off her futuristic intergalactic helmet with badass, nonchalant superhero flourish, as if Molly Ringwald and Stan Lee had a dreamy comic book baby creation come to life. <laughs> Matilda, singing Rose Cornbluth, was in the fourth grade, spending more time now stargazing the new telescope she got for Hanukkah than playing Metroid, because she saw how tweaky, sketchy, her younger brother got once he got addicted to winning Metroid before his big sister did. Her younger brother, Arthur, would now sneak downstairs to the basement to pound his secret stash of later discontinued Jolt Cola, which was the equivalent of six cups of coffee, resulting in him becoming the most sleep-deprived first grader since Sam Kinison hooked up Drew Barrymore with his coat dealer at the Comedy Store on a slow Tuesday. Ha! Doing kid stories that fucking matter. Thank you very much. But a younger brother didn't finish off all his jolt stash in the garage because Matilda had snagged the rest to stay up for Haley's comment, which you couldn't afford to miss because she had to write a paper about it for class. Actually, Matilda's fourth grade teacher, Miss McCracken, gave her permission to stay up late for Haley's comment by any means necessary, saying Isaac Newton wasn't sent to jail for proving the earth was round, for Matilda to punk out and be a lazy brain, goody two-shoes, square about it. Ha! Miss McCracken lives, best philosophy teacher of all time, took us to see Frankenstein, the one with De Niro, pre-weird uh, week, woke Howard back in the day, in 95. Ha! Got super stoned, my Hawaiian bud. We went to the same private school as Barack Obama, which later inspired this bit. Barack Obama is such a great basketball player, such a good baller. Then why did he ride the bench at an all-Asian private school in Hawaii? Ha! McCracken lives. Thank you very much. Now, Matilda is pounding more jolt and noshing on some leftover Milky Ways from Halloween that she discovered hidden in the garage, eagerly awaiting to spot the world's most famous comet blaze across the sky, knowing she won't be able to see it again till 2061. By then, Matilda saw herself as a retired, famous astrophysicist who would eventually go viral, despite the internet not being invented yet, when she tells Carl Sagan on Real Time with Bill Maher her Big Bang Theory, which was Carl Sagan's mother was an atheist Cunt too. Ha! Hey, big guy, that'd be my dad. It's an A-plus joke. Fucking deal with it. Thank you very much. Matilda realizes she's out of jolt and in a frenzied spurt, darts downstairs to grab one more jolt despite her inner square telling her she was getting more into the tweaky sugar rush high than catching a twice-in-a-lifetime event. If you're lucky, knowing it was still 1986 and Wonder Bread still ruled everything around us before Benjamin's became common vernacular after Puff Daddy helped Big 
E, blow up bigger than you know what. <laughs> that being uh, Foxy Brown Snatch. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, Matilda's younger brother, Arthur, on his final stage of finally winning Metroid downstairs in the TV room with his eyes two feet from the TV as he sits Indian style and sweats in his New York giant Mark Bavaro Rambo shirt from Big League Threads. Ha! Big League Threads lives. Fucking ruled. Thank you! Very much! As Matilda zooms down the stairs, she spots Arthur still up playing Metroid. Normally, Arthur will be oblivious to all other action around him while playing Metroid, especially in his pursuit to finally win the game before his big sister could. Yet, unfortunately, Matilda inherited her dad's clunky, heavy feet, which made it impossible to ever stay out late past curfew when she got older, especially knowing the creaky old wooden colonial steps weren't helping her stomping trail of sound subside anytime soon either. She also, more often than not, uh, would fail that putty cup of true test every time. Ha! Thank you very much! Arthur turns his head and spots Matilda and yells, You didn't see me. Don't tell Dad. I'll tell him. You drank jolt on a school night too. Matilda says, I don't know what you're talking about, Arthur. I'm not Matilda. You're just hallucinating from major sleep deprivation. I'm actually surprised you're not partially blind like Han Solo after Leia unfreezes him from Carbonite in Jabba's palace, actually. Arthur adds, Don't BS me, Tilda. Wait a minute. I didn't press the reset button to pause it. Now Arthur's Metroid character gets his marrow sucked to death from a giant green force field enclosing brain-eating alien bug. Arthur freaks the F out as expected, yelling, I got killed, Tilda. I've never been this close to winning. I'm going to get you back for this. Can your telescope fly out the window? Let's find out. Matilda says, don't even think about touching it, Arthur. I haven't seen Haley's Common yet. Matilda and Arthur bolt upstairs to his big sister's room to wrestle control over the telescope. Waking up her dad in the process, they barely squeeze in through her bedroom door together, almost becoming crazy glued together like a pair of tweak Siamese twins. As he finally pushed Loose through the door, they trip over each other, landing on top of her red waxy beanbag with discarded Milky Way wrappers on it. Dad comes in and says, what's all this commotion about? Why is everyone still up? Haley's Comet just flew by five minutes ago. The show's over, baby. Matilda has Arthur in a headlock in the beanbag. We'll give him a brain-drilling noogie in the process. Looks up to her dad and asks a perplexed, engaged, enraged, disgust. Why didn't you grab me for Haley's Comet, Dad? Dad says, but then I'd miss it. Plus, these telescopes don't grow on trees. Besides, you get to grow up with Alf, and Alf will provide all the comedic relief and head-spinning possibility for awesomeness in this earth. Relief that you'll need. Ha! Thank you very much! The boob! Doctor! Ha! Thank you very much! Samuel was so fond of boob, he became a boob doctor one day. Growing up, he'd suck mama's boobs dry after he turned his parents' bedroom into a 24-7 open milk bar. One time, it got weird because his big sister was in his parents' uh, bed when he said, Booby, only for her, his big sister to lift her shirt up and say, Psych, April Fool's Day, Samuel, for pulling her nighty shirt immediately back down. For a younger brother could punch her nipple dots into bruised ones. Big sister was only nine, so she had no lumbering boobs weighing down her structurally damaged vertebrae for massive 
overextension. Although if she did opt to get breast reduction surgery when she got older for some selfish, stupid reason like mild back pain, discomfort from bending over on one too many uh, clay courts in Florida and Palm Beach from playing tennis for uh, too much, uh, too many occasions in a row, <laughs> it wouldn't be a huge load off her shoulders if she filled out on top uh, even less than Mama did. Holla for titty shaming mommy for the service of comedy. For the comedy gods above, Joan lives. Thank you very much. <laughs> Baby Samuel would hold up one of his sister's naked Barbies on occasion and ask his dad, do you think she's hot, Dada? And daddy would say, by Southern Bell standards, I give her a 7.3. Although if she lived in the East Village of Manhattan these days, I give her a solid 9 because she'd be taller than most of the munchkin gals off of St. Mark's who you can never mount uh, from behind standing up unless she held them up high against the wall which your doodle dad is too pretzel to pull off, if you need to know. <laughs> Baby Samuel was always fascinated with his dad's human anatomy book, which he got so his kids would have an easier time coming up with funny-sounding body parts whenever they played bad lives. Anus Hole being a made-up body part name that became their go-to personal favorite. Uh, Baby Samuel always wanted his daddy to show him where he came from in Mama's Vagina, as he constantly implored his dear dad, show me where I used to live in Mama's Vagina back in the day when I used to sip booby milk through her umbilical cord and was... Zygote, tiny, like mini-me after he was born. Ha! Thank you very much! <laughs> now, baby Samuel is the boob doctor. The big pimp in plastic surgery office in Miami Beach. About to consult a 39-year-old exotic dancer, Buttercup, about a potential breast reduction surgery. Buttercup wears a tight white sweater and cheap sunglasses to her appointment with the boob doctor. As she examines various frame degrees on the wall before the boob doctor, Samuel Cornbluth, enters. The boob doctor, Samuel Cornbluth, enters his office and Buttercup's nipples begin to jingle with nervous trepidation. Dr. Cornbluth taps her shoulder ever so gently, which sends shivers of titillating tingles up and down her spine like never before. Before he gets comfortable in his desk chair to deliver his breast reduction surgery consultation. Dr. Cornbluth says, So my tennis partner, Dr. Ken, says he doesn't want you dancing at Senior Tata's in South Beach anymore. Buttercup says, He's very possessive of my glittery, uh, busty beauties, but that's not why I'm here, Dr. Cornbluth. You see, I read on the internet how breast reduction surgery causes scars, and I was wondering why any woman willing to risk damaging their natural beauties the way God intended them to be. Do you ever feel like Dr. Frankenstein? for playing the role of nip-tuck god by picking off where he left off. I was a double major in philosophy and English at the University of Florida, in case you're wondering. Dr. Cuomo says, I'm confused, Buttercup. I thought you came here for a breast reduction surgery consultation, but it sounds like you've made up your mind already. I'm still getting paid by the hour, so I don't give a shit, regardless, especially knowing how I get the glance at your luscious lobes of perfection, jiggle with anticipation in my presence. I had that impact on all my female patients, except the hardcore dykes, but they're no... They normally have nothing to flaunt and hide under their natty-looking dress sweaters for a reason. Buttercup says, I do play plenty of tennis in my downtime with Dr. Ken, and I have noticed a slight strain on my back as of late, Dr. Cornbluth. Plus, I own a hot pink Range Rover, my own boat, and a condo with high ceilings and fancy uh, fuckbags galore made out of shaggy futon, the fancy arts district of Miami. So I've gotten plenty of ROI out of my gorgeous gals on top already, Doc. I just want to know what love feels like without them being the centerpiece, force field, my existence, which dominate every man's universe. Dr. Cornbus says, like Kanye West says, one good girl is worth a thousand bitches. 
with depleted tits on top, making them half the woman they need to be. Bam! Buttercup says, you mangled that Kanye West line a little bit, Doc, but I heard your message loud and clear. Buttercup stands up erect, pulls down her cheap sunglasses ever so slightly and says, I wouldn't trade in your posh Miami Beach office for some shipbox in Park Slope, Brooklyn, either, Doc. New York is so yesterday's news. Holla! And DeSantis, we trust Florida. God, I love it. Thank you very much. Pitch woman of the year. Holla! For doing kid stories. Good. Neil Diamond lives. Last waltz forevermore. Thank you very much. Pitch woman of the year. Aliens are capable of formulating and defending their own critical race theory too. Although a bunch of think tank alien eggheads from Planet Scrambled over easy declared the American dream dead. And its entire race, plain stupid for thinking otherwise, on both sides of the political divide, during its annual brunch expo address at their Northern Lights retreat on planet Verde, known for its enormous avocado trees, tricked out converted farmhouse party palaces enveloped by hop farms galore, and beautifully manicured baseball diamonds and fields of highly stimulated brain-tickling weed. Even think tank alien eggheads need to cool off their hyperactive brains with some baseball buds and brews from time to time. Feel the dreams reimagined. Ha! Thank you very much! Think tank alien eggheads. Observed how unhinged and excessively biased the U.S. media and big tech have become since the New Yorker from Queens exposed them for the feckless, misleading, self-serving, fear-mongering, deliberately divisive, commie sell-up bastards they had become. Closing Connors of the Third Kind was voted the number one ranked sci-fi film for 44 years in a row and counting, according to Egghead Alien Film Review Magazine, which still boasts an incredible print ad sales revenue because on Planet Scrambled Easy, print is king. And considered the most prestigious medium, attracting the universe's most talented writers, knowing they're willing to pay up to three U.S. dollars per word. Plus, there's no TV shows made on Planet Scrambled Easy except a hugely popular father-son alien cooking show called Better Than Booby. On this show, we learn the alien baby is a result of a mixed marriage between an alien and a busty, full-lipped, tan, Sicilian-blooded Italian Barbera Bustiasti, originally hailing from Rochester, New York. On the show... Our stay-at-home alien dad host, Fried Brains Bourdain, a self-anointed in-house gourmand for the entire planet scramble over easy, will act as part human, part alien baby Chef Samuels, what he thinks of his latest and greatest Leo Scramble Supreme, including smoked salmon, lox, scrambled eggs, and sweet, not-too-bitter caramelized red onions. Normally, Chef Samuels will take a taste and pronounce the dish. Creation is either a double fister or it being a Yuck, yucker. But if baby Samuel is totally enthralled with the dish, he'll ask his cherished daddy, fried brains Bourdain, to make the dish for him every day before he whizzes around the rings of planet scramble over easy, faster than flash, in a high-calorie burning blaze of glory. Emilio lives forevermore. Holla! Bon Jovi too. Thank you very much. So, the reason... Planet Scrambled Eggs Over Easy was smitten with the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, stemmed from the aliens portrayed in it being musical savant mutes of sorts, like Holly Hunter in the piano. The problem on Planet Scrambled Eggs Over Easy is how their recent open borders policy resulted in a gazillion different languages spoken at once on any given farmer's market, enough to make 
C-3PO's language transmitter chip melt from intergalactic, from intergalactic mere auditory sensory processing overload. So, the climber in the streets had reached a fevered pitch with no universal language in place, capable of instilling a more melodic cadence, and none of the Star Magazine writers on Planet Scrambled Over Easy were capable of banging out musical show tunes such as West Side Think Tank Alien Stories because Broadway tunesmith legend Steven Sodenheim declined the invitation to procreate with the alien civilization because he was gayer about the prospect of lunging at Othello and tights whenever I asked to do his best Kevin Spacey impersonation by his cast and crew at Sardi's for another wrap-up show celebration. Steven Sodenheim gave the anal probe a shot after the alien think tank leader Gershwin Gu convinced him they were doing it in the name of stool DNA sampling science and their long, hard, in-depth exploration of pinpointing the exact genetic makeup roots responsible for sprouting such mature musical genius out of the womb. At six, Mozart was touring Europe, entertaining French nobles with the nimble quickness of a French prostitute who got two customers to spew with joy in one minute flat each so she could squeeze in her favorite customer, famed American Jewish writer Henry Miller, in one more time before the road. Ah, thank you very much! So not only was the roaring decibel of noise on the streets of scrambled eggs over easy, consisting of every guttural, gross alien language imaginable that collectively heard together sounded like the antithesis of French pillow talk in Eric Romer, in Eric Romer films such as Busted Burgundy Girls and Paris Dicks are burning, therefore making their home planet a highly grating, excessively annoying place to be. But there is also not a standalone beautifying voice to even sing their new planet anthem in an attempt to promote, celebrate, and unify the country behind a star-beautiful voice in their own native tongue, Hebrew. What, you think the pyramids in the first great temple were built by the Israelites alone? I've known Jews who are allergic to Home Depot, who suffer from immediate panic attacks upon entry. On retreat, the think tank aliens sucking down endless IPAs and pop a non-stop high-grade ganj over a killer doubleheader of baseball sweating the Field of Dreams funhouse, a young rising star egghead about to pitch his famous speedball splinter known to make most fellow aliens whiff more than Charlie Sheen at an AVN after-hours party these days. An idea emerged. Hey, fellas. Instead of blowing up planet Earth for our annual 4th of July celebration to celebrate our freedom, banning the internet in 2000 because we knew Y2K would serve as a slow-acting bomb to blow up the Earth's any last remaining capacity for critically thinking mass-produced independent thought ever again, we convinced Matilda Singanore's Cornwall to become our permanent in-house planetary anthem singer. Granted, we have incredible leverage. Knowing if she refuses, we'll go ahead and blow up Earth for the best fireworks show we've ever seen. Bulldozing a casino is child's play compared to planet blasting. Plus, I think the universe is ready for a new Earth to emerge again, assuming God's in the mood to give the human race another shot at redemption. The think tank aliens of scrambled over easy planet actually thought of singing Rose Cornwall immediately, the moment they coined the idea of establishing a planetary anthem in Hebrew. From eavesdropping from space, whenever she recited the Shabbat prayers over the candles, 
challah, and wine. To them, singing rose corn, but was blessed. The most angelic lace, beautifying, spiritually rich, jade-free voice of all time, which had a ten times more soul-tantalizing, pretty, sung in Hebrew, which you do in synagogue, shining through the most, whenever the Torah was taken out of the ark for the infamous Shema prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Think tank aliens from scrambled over easy planet are able to eavesdrop into different galaxy systems through their alien race being crossed by with alien hybrid elephants reared by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great would use those elephants to eavesdrop on his enemies when Cleopatra, next time she plotted to roofie him, tie him up, and jam some precious gemstone beads up his ass for shits and giggles to see if they came out looser since the last gender-neutral inter-kingdom orgy at her Luxor party palace. Holla! Thank you! Very much! Now, singing Rose Cornbluth is at home in her bedroom in the hamlet of Curtin Falls, New York, 50 minutes north of Manhattan, brushing the mane on her new American Girl horse doll, Lavender Love, singing her own made-up tune. Lavender Love has beautiful hair. My brother, Arthur, better not threaten to turn him into fake news dog chow if baby Samuel double dares. Then the Palomino American Girl doll horse Lavender Love comes to life and speaks to Matilda from the baseball diamond on the Field of Dreams funhouse and says, Singing Rose Cornbluth, don't be alarmed. For starters, my voice can't be any freakier than when you confuse your American Girl doll horse for an actual little person on occasion. Singing Rose Cornbluth says, keep talking. Think Tank Alien says, we think your singing voice, especially in Hebrew, is the most beautiful, God-loving, effortlessly sweet singing voice we've ever heard. That without any deep vibrato rumblings, which ruin Adele and Demi Lovato's chances as potential picks for us, if you really need to know. Singing Rose Cornbus says, and who was we exactly? Think Tank Alien says, we're Think Tank Aliens from Planet Scrambled Over Easy. Our natural tongue is Hebrew, and we just came up with our first ever planetary anthem, and it needs work because our alien civilization isn't musically inclined whatsoever. Singing Rose Corbus says, Do all aliens talk to American girl horses? I know, I knew aliens were real. Think Tank Alien says, Singing Rose, we love your voice. God made your supernatural voice for a reason. Still, we'll be left with no choice but to blow up your planet if you don't let us use your gift of creation and singing love songs, which touch the innermost sanctum part of the divine. Singing Rose Corbus says, I'll only help you out if you agree to take over control of our internet, unleash virus worms, to corrode all the software code for Twitter, Facebook, and Google, and fill in that gaping voice of the internet bandwidth with my father's do-it-all daddier podcast. Every Friday for another meandering Shabbat Shalom special. My daddy is hardcore hilarious. He said Beyonce sat at the national anthem because Demi Lovato sounded too much like the white privileged version of Alabama Shakes. Think Tank Alien laughs a long time and replies, We don't have the internet on our planet. Matilda says, I'll be your new best friend, and you'll get one sleepover invite a year. Deal? Think Tank Alien says, Deal. One year later, Singing Rose Cornbooth graced the cover of Time Magazine. On the top, the headline read, Pitch Woman of the Year, who saved her country's planet from being wiped off the solar system. For selling the think tank aliens on making her do-it-all dad the most popular, downloadable, highly quotable podcaster in the universe. So he could afford the opportunity to shine like the brightest rising comedy star in the galaxy. 
and drive his family back from the hospital in his new Comedy Gold Porsche SUV, the new Baby Sister Edition in the back, Lavender Love Cornbluth, to make his do-it-all dad year come true. Now, singing Rose Cornbluth could sing duets with their new baby sister, Lavender Love, for a double dose of beautiful wonderfulness on Planet Scrambled Eggs Over Easy, so she never had to feel homesick again. Can I get a holla for the beautiful gift of fatherhood that keeps on giving and for the miraculous one-of-a-kind Matilda singing Rose Shoshana Cornbluth? Holla! Thank you very much, Lord, again and again. Thank you very much. The Wishing Well Architect. Holla! Thank you very much. Art Show USA was no ordinary Wishing Well Architect. He designed a wishing well for Bill Gates' daughter after buying her a horse farm in North Salem, New York, only to clog it on purpose. With Planned Parenthood brochures in honor of his board member dad for making such a huge splash as a baby part reseller on the open market, otherwise known by pro-life activist groups as the million-dollar fetus flicker man. Archer USA was a perfectionist artist. His doodle dad, Michael Cornbluth, now a famous comedian, Arthur, with the stand-up residency at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, would always encourage his son's inborn artistic flair. Yet all his gorgeous, pitch-perfect son would hear afterwards in semi-kidding fashion, so you think I suck because every student-teacher evaluation for Archer USA was a pure joy to receive for his do-it-all dad because he got an extreme kick out of some teachers, like his first grade one, Miss Rudolph, who would bemoan in a begrudgingly huffy manner, we all know Arthur is a great artist, only to rub in the harsh fact that teachers teach and birth less talented offspring for a reason. Doodle Dad always pounded into his eldest son's cranium, Art Sells Baby, which always stayed with Art Show because he was haunted by early memories of his mom threatening to divorce his dad if he wrote one more book and didn't get a job at Trader Joe's in Danbury, Connecticut. So his dad doubled down on himself and wrote not one but two more books in addition to 64 comedy records <laughs> under six months, without advertising the fact to his wife until he scored a lit agent in Israel for his book, The Coach-Tearing Comedians, and the rest is star-studded history. Art Show made his first million from a lucrative birdhouse making business called Bird Baller Cribs from only taking one woodworking class prior. He sold them at various farmer's markets throughout Brooklyn, Manhattan, and in Kingston, New York. While his mother sold flowers to Art Show's big sister from the new estate farm in North Salem, calling her flower truck Green Thumb Girl, Doodle Dad's favorite birdhouse creation was his kiss theme one that rocked a giant shaped bed, similar to the one the lead singer and main songwriter Paul Stanley lies on and miss an endless sprawl of busty blonde beauties in his kiss lair in Beverly Hills. Although the best part of this birdhouse creation was the giant Gene Simmons tongue extension bird feeding line containing a sprinkling of some homemade CBD oil marinated granola as more high-flying blue jays and cardinals licked it up! Oh! Archo USA cares plenty about wishing wells because ever since he could remember, he'd wish for his doodle dad's books, comedy records, 
to succeed because art sells, baby. The new and improved wish after his daddy finally scored a lead agent, started a stand-up residency in Vegas, and got into the Screen Actors Guild for a film to co-star with Russell Brand and Vince Vaughn called Two Tall Comedians, was for his dad to finally part with his precious time-release Adderall. Despite his claims of writing like a Jewish angel on the stuff, reality is, do-it-all dad was an incredibly fast-talking New Yorker to begin with, even on high-grade weed, so he didn't require any speedy thought enhancement whatsoever. On do-it-all dad's 45th birthday in Woodstock, New York, he took a mini hike in the woods with his son, Archer, USA, only to bump into a wishing well along the way. Doodle Dad gave his son a customary quarter to make a wish with. Though this time he wishes Dad would become convinced he'd become a big-time Arthur comedian success off the Adderall for good. Plus, he knew his daddy off Adderall would focus less on how annoying Mama can be with their phone during Adam Sandler appreciation movie night at home. Daddy was better off writing all day, performing at night, and taking an occasional weekend puff while enjoying a daily IPA or two after another highly rewarding day for making the most of his God-given gift of comedic song. Archo USA's latest and greatest wishing well creation was made in Central Park near the Great Lawn in the big city, the place of his birth, like his doodle dad before him, which they both derived tremendous locatarian pride from. Knowing the island of Manhattan is what dreams of doer-topper success are made of. The Wishing Well was named Do-It-All Dad Dumper, a tad long-winded name, even for Do-It-All Dad's taste. Still, the symbolic heft of this name wasn't lost on the New York adoring public, especially after the Today Show, an unveiling of the Do-It-All Dad Dumper, where a line of Do-It-All Dads followed Do-It-All Dad's lead and dumped whatever pill, powder, drink, or strain of dumb-dumb weed they felt was preventing them from flying high again, off their kids' glorious presence alone. Doodle Dad Beam with endless knockus, pride in Yiddish, derived from the reflective, successful glow emanating from offspring, especially those who stem from your Doodle Dad, your tree chunk. <laughs> Doodle Dad picks up his son with excitable boy glee and gives him a 360 airplane spin for all time's sake, despite Art Show now being 6'5 and 20 years old. Art Show USA shrieks with Unmatched joy, like he was seven again. Do-it-all dad continues to spin Arthur around and says, Teenager in love is all grown up and he's all grown up. Are you too special to be real? Are you too special to be real? Archo USA shrieks with more love-blasting joy and says with pitch-perfect comedic timing, Are you saying I suck because... Do-it-all dad laughs long time. Wishing... Even his worst enemies got to experience do-it-all-dad bliss like this. 